Friend of the program, Tony Ferrari, released his rebuild review of the Detroit Red Wings. How did it go? We're going to talk about it. You're locked on Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Thursday episode of the Lockdown Red Wings. Uh, we are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. Scotty over there is also host at Locked On Tigers. And uh want to thank you guys for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. I just discovered today through our NHL podcast group chat, Scotty, that it's possible to review or, or leave a star rating at the very least on Spotify. So... We're, uh, we're moving on from asking you guys to subscribe to our YouTube page. And no, now we still are very subscribe politely, to YouTube. Yeah, still definitely su- subscribe to YouTube. But now we are very politely asking, please leave us a review on Spotify or an Apple podcast. That'd be very nice. We'd yeah, appreciate would. that. It, we would. We'd be, uh, we'd be very appreciative. Yeah, no, you sent me that thing today, and I, uh, I immediately ran over and, and checked my the Tigers one, too. And I was like, oh, I didn't, <laughs> How you I didn't doing? know this was a thing. Oh, I'm doing. I'm doing fine. No, no, just fine. Got, a, got a nice little 4.9 going. There you go. Yeah, it's not bad. Dang, I'm bringing us down. We only got 4.5 over here. <laughs> I'm I'm just subtracting 0. 0.4 points from the program. What's going on? I feel like that's not that. That's like Zadina numbers. It's not okay. Bad. Well, you know that is that a compliment? <laughs> Everyone's gonna get mad at me now. I'm kidding. It's a joke. We're all oh. having a good time. Hey, hey, oh, hey, hey. Um, friend of the program, Tony Ferrari released a rebuild review of the Detroit Red Wings where he basically looked back at the, where the rebuild began, how it got to where it's at, and how it's looking towards the future. Um, it was super, super well-researched article, Scotty. And, I mean, what else do you expect from Tony Ferrari? He's our bald king. like that. He's just the best. He's the man. I mean, from one bald king to another, honestly. That's, that's, high, that's high, uh, high regards. High what are you talking about? You still got hair. <laughs> no tony's the best though best in the biz and um he, he's uh it was incredible to read i mean anything he puts out is 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 great to read but um when you know when you when you cover the wings and then uh to see someone who's not part of like red wings twitter or the red wings community or like the the detroit news cycle or anything like that like to see somebody from an, an outsider's perspective viewpoint of the Red Wings rebuild and give it such high praise is super fun and also super encouraging. I think he does have a little bit of, of love for the Detroit Red Wings, though, because of the more cider thing. Because yes, he's one of the few helps. people that had him that high. Uh, yeah, but uh, the, first, we, the first man he hung his hat on. Yeah, no, and we love that he loves the Red Wings. What the one thing that the immediate thing that first set out stood out to me when reading this article. Um, well, one on top of the, how like it was incredibly detailed, the timeline was that he pinpointed the Datsuk leaving for the KHL as, and with the combination of Larkin's sophomoric slump in the NHL as the starting point for the rebuild at the moment where it had to begin together or begin to, you know, tear it all down and start all over. And looking back on it now, I think he was right. Now they did sign Franz Nielsen to that long-term deal and an attempt to try and replace him. <laughs> 
But even if even if Ken Holland wasn't willing to accept the fact that it was time for a rebuild, Datsuk leaving for Russia was the final piece of what was that in, incredible era. We still had Henrik Zetterberg for a couple more seasons, but with his build, you know, with his back injuries to mount, everything, yeah. it wasn't the same. And not to discount, he still had a couple good seasons left in him. But Datsuk leaving, I mean, there was that was the moment where I think Red Wings fans, maybe who were still in denial, knew in the back of their head that it was time for the rebuild to begin. Yeah, no, it, it was, uh, again, I, I think it's it's so intriguing and so uh, fascinating to see like an outsider's perspective of, of everything and then the timeline included. I, I, I think that that's a, that's a really accurate place uh, to, to put it. And, and the thing I remember the most about that was in, in Chell, right? In, in, Chell. In, uh, in, in, the, in the video game for like, for like a while. Like years after, several years. Um, I want to say the next two or three games, uh, Dotsuk would be on the Coyotes. Yes, I do remember that. We, we trade, right? Like he, he went to, to Russia and then in a trade, we we traded the, the rights to him, the NHL rights to him to uh, to Arizona. And so for a, for a couple of years, uh, Dotsuk was just on the, on the Coyotes. <laughs> And uh, it was it was a, like a weird, like funny thing that that's one of my like most prominent memories from him leaving uh, besides, um, you know, like the day of and everything. But uh, no, it's it's a it's a, I think it's a pretty accurate starting point. And on top of that, going through and seeing then the the reality check of the next season and, you know, the 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 temperature of the fan base in the organization Kind of starting to get a little sour was definitely uh, an eye-opening thing. I, I think he's right. And he broke it down into sections too. And, and the incredible section just on like when Ken Holland first began the rebuild and the Thomas Tatar trade in Ken Holland's defense was a fantastic move. And he made some other, you know, selling at the trade deadline moves like trading Ryan Mrazek and Nyquist. But the night and day difference between the rebuild between Ken Holland and the rebuild to from with Iserman was is insane. The moment Iserman took over, the rebuild took an incredible turn for the better. Where, like, the trades that Holland was making weren't horrible when he was selling off, but, you know, it was he wasn't getting the better of the trade deals, And besides the Tatar trade, in my opinion. Like, he got a third-round pick for Mrazek. You know, Nyquist net us a little bit. You fast-forward to now Iserman in charge, and him going day one, going, guys, full teardown, this team's going to be bad. Get ready, it's going to suck. And just begin to fleece people left and right. Whereas with Ken Holland, and it might've been also partly where the teams were at the time, but with Ken Holland, the fact that he was just trade selling off assets and ga gathering prospect uh, or draft picks, which is what you need to do. But Steve Eiserman, when he co comes into tr uh, power, he not only is accruing, accruing um, draft picks, but he's also making, you know, low risk, high reward type trades where it's like, okay, I'm going to trade Jacob for Della sure. Rose for right. one for one for Robbie Fabry. Who's fighting for a place on the St. Louis blues, which Tony Ferrari brought up. He's like, he flipped the guy who had no, who struggles to find a, a spot in the NHL lineup with the blues for a struggling young man who was looking, needed a place to start fresh. And Robbie Fabry has slotted himself into a top six winger. Like those are the moves that Steve Eisman is doing on top of selling off assets to accrue draft picks. Like he has been, the, the night and day mentality 
where it's kind of like a, like fully by fully embracing the rebuild rather than like reluctantly like yeah we got to do this is just it's night and day in the quality and Tony Ferrari brings up a lot of a lot of those moments that make you realize holy cow like this is so much better with Stevie in charge. Yeah, I mean, at, like that's that it doesn't take a, a PhD to figure out. That's that's pretty night and day. That how much more efficient the rebuild has been under under Iserman than it was under Holland. Um, the ho- the thing with Holland was like the a he was he he's admitted multiple times that he was just trying to keep the streak going. Yeah, right. There was no chance. He, he was ever going to start the rebuild. You know, some people say that the rebuild should have started a couple of years before the streak ended. Have. Right. So, like, that was never going to happen. Ken Holland was 100% focused on just making the postseason. And well, that I was think, it. I think there was somebody in his ear telling him to do that, too. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think that's absolutely true. And then once the streak ends, that mindset – didn't like you said there was no full embrace of okay we're gonna go into a rebuild that that never happened there was we're the the we're gonna retool not rebuild we're gonna you know shed rebuild salary fly. right we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep our our players that make us competitive and we're gonna try to just fill in and uh the the like access space and the blanks that are kind of left over the, there, there was no just complete, you know what, this sucks, tear it down, build it back up again. Um, and even aside from philosophy, Steve's just – the trades are night and day. You no, know, it absolutely is. And, you know, we have the – I was referencing the Robbie Fabry, Jacob De La Rose, and he didn't hit – Steve Eisman didn't hit on all those trades. I mean, look, remember Brendan Pirellini? Um, who was the guy we traded for? Eric Comrie from Winnipeg, who the Red Wings play tonight. I mean, those are guys that, but they're, that's the things. They were, they were low risk trades. You didn't give up much on uh, taking a flyer on a guy who could turn out to be the next Robbie Fabry. You know, he traded for Adam Ernie, another guy who needed a fresh start yeah. um, with a new team. And Adam Ernie's been, you know, he's been a decent piece in the bo- uh, bottom six for the team. He was an RFA, so you, you win out on that end as well. But he's also made huge deals too. And I mean, th- there are, and the drafting has been such a big difference maker as well for the, the Detroit Red Wings. Where when the rebuild started with Ken Holland and Tony Ferrari, I don't know if he advertently like point, meant to point this out, but talking about the last few years of the Ken Holland rebuild versus when Steve Eiserman took over, when it comes to drafting is also night and day because year one of the rebuild after the Red Wings missed the playoffs in 2017, they took Michael Rasmussen 10th overall. Tony Ferrari points out that was or ninth overall. I apologize. Tony Ferrari points out that that was the first time the Detroit Red Wings had a top 10 pick since 1991 when they took uh, LaPointe in the, in the uh, 1991 entry-level draft. And Michael Rasmussen at the time was supposed to be taken in the, around the teens. He was expected to uh, fall, take like go in the 15th or 16th, and he got taken ninth overall because his soft hands down low. And obviously, you know, we know how that panned out in the long run. We know where we're at now with Michael Rasmussen and how we feel, but he was getting criticized even at that time for that pick because it seemed like a reach for a guy who didn't skate well and all he had was size and could stand in front of the net. Like, you're basically drafting Thomas Holmstrom, who was just taller, a taller Thomas Holmstrom at ninth overall, which I love Thomas Holmstrom. He did great, but, like, at ninth overall, 
<laughs> and I told her all. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I mean you're right. Like that's a that's a pretty um with all due respect, that, that's a that's a pretty rough way to kick off a rebuild. Absolutely. And then he follows up the next year. And next year I'm not with Phillips in his draft pick. I will not give him yeah, crap. Yeah, what are we talking about that? Well, because we we are, again, we are always talking from the point of hindsight. At the time, I was pumped that Philip Zadina got picked sixth overall because he fell, and then they took Joe Valeno thirtieth overall because he fell. And you know that that twenty that second first round pick was Vegas's because that came in the Tatar trade, which was a boon of Ken Holland. So not all the things that Ken Holland did were awful, and some of them were just it didn't pan out the way they expected. The Michael Rasmussen one is still suspect, but I can't fault them for taking Zadina where he did. Um, although Quinn Hughes probably would have been a better pick. But again, we know that in hindsight. We expected Phillips Zadina to be this top-tier goal scorer. Joe Valeno was projected to go top 15 in that draft and fell to 30th. So I can't really fault him for those. But when you're looking at it from a perspective of hindsight, like those last few Ken Holland picks aren't panning out as well as the first few Steve Eiserman picks. And you wonder how much of it you know, was Ken Holland making decisions or was he relying on the people in charge? Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, one of the the drafting is another thing. Like we talked about the trades and, and such, but the drafting since Iserman has taken over, like he started off with a bang, baby. You know what I mean? Like starting off, starting off with taking with taking a what was believed on draft night to be an unbelievable reach on cider, and. Mo Sider turning into Mo Sider and, and everything that's followed, honestly. I mean, people have been are still really high on almost everyone he's taken since uh since he's taken over the helm and um helm. Helm. And we're still <laughs> uh, we're still seeing, you know, those guys start to trickle in. Yeah, and I you know, and I again we're looking from a perspective of hindsight. We criticized, I criticized the Moritz Sider pick because I was like, that was a bit of a reach. It seemed like all the, you know, with the exception of Tony Ferrari himself, uh, all the experts were saying that Sider was going to be taken later. But Steve Eiserman um, and his scouting team pulled, you know, pulled one over on the whole entire league, or at least the teams that the first five teams that drafted in that year, despite the Red Wings falling in the draft. I mean, that was another thing that Tony Ferrari brought up. He's like, they've done this rebuild while falling in the draft lottery like six or seven years in a row. Six yeah. or seven years in a row, they've drafted lower than their final standings would have them draft, thanks to the lottery. And they continued to build off of that. Um, he talks about specific players in general in this uh, in this NHL or Red Wings re Rebuild Review. Red Wings Rebuild Review. Nice alliteration there. Um, he mentions that Philip Zadina has been great off the puck. He's really uh, shored up his defensive game. He's become a, a good, consistent threat in creating scoring chances, but his problem continues to just be he can't finish. And uh, that's his take on that that polarizing player, Scotty, that Phillips is a good hockey player, but he just hasn't done what he's been uh, meant to do. Yeah, and, like, that's th – those kind of players, you know, there, there's, there's some players that can only score goals and are bad defenders and bad passers and bad off-the-puck skaters and, and bad, uh, like, setup men. And, and you know what I mean? Like, there's, 
there, there's players that that are are bad at everything else except scoring, and it's just brutal that the one thing this dude struggles at is putting the puck in the net because because uh, he has shown and we've talked about it. He has shown that he can be pretty solid in a lot of other areas on the ice. It's just when it comes to scoring puck. Scoring puck. Yeah, and he, he's fair about it. And I think, you know, his take is probably the most logical and honest about it all outside of the he sucks or he's really good takes. I mean, the fact of the matter is he's right. He's gotten good possession numbers. He creates scoring chances. He's good off the puck. He's become a much better defender or a defensive forward. He's short up that part of his game. He just can't finish. And all the other stuff is great, but in the end, he has to learn how to finish. And I don't want to get in the whole Zadina talk again, but I saw that part, and I'm like, Tony gets it. He gets the play. Tony gets it. Um, Mentioned Michael Rasmussen just said he was an overall disappointment, and I was like, yeesh. Yeah, because he was brought in to be a 6'6 center with nice hands down low on the power play, and he is just 6'6". Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, man. Like, you know, what else is there to say? Yes, that's, that's fair to bring up. Fair analysis by Tony. He's big. He is big. Um, He said, as, as well as the team is playing, thanks to the likes of Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond, and he rants and raves about all the things that Scotty and I have uh, raved about so far this season. You know, Lucas Raymond's um, hockey IQ, his ability to create chances and, and fool the defenders and Moritz Sider is just instantaneous. He's like, no one expected Moritz Sider to be as good as he has been in his first year. And he's, you know, with everything we've said, he says in the article regarding those two. Um, but he also parrots what Jake Rivard of Wingy and Motown said about the, the Detroit Red Wings deficits. And that was the center depth. He said that as good and surprising as the rebuild has been this season, especially with the steps forward they've taken, if they want to become a legitimate contender, the Detroit Red Wings have got to get a second-line center that's a legitimate threat. And that is something that we've talked about. We talked about it with Jake Rivard when we had him on. And it's just 100% true, man. The center depth is going to be one of the biggest uh, detriments to this team until they can get it figured out. Yeah, we've talked about it a million times, right? It's It's... The analyzing it's interesting because there are some parts of this team that you look at and you go, okay, that's weak right now, but there's reinforcements coming. The, the there, there are right. There are some things that are weak at the NHL level, but not weak within the organization. And those are incredibly different things. The center depth were were just scraping the bottom of the barrel in both. Absolutely. And that is why it is such a cause for concern because that's one of the most vital uh, position groups for any championship contending team. And it is the one that we are weakest at in the NHL level and are, I would say, comfortably weakest in across the entire levels, all the levels of the farm. Well, and here's where uh, Tony differed. And the reason I brought up the center depth thing is because Tony differed in one key area. Uh, regarding the replacement for Pew Suter in the future, uh, where Jake Rivard referenced going through the offseason and targeting either a free agent or creating a trade 
to get your second scoring center, highlighting guys like Thomas Hurdle to fill that hole. Um, Tony Ferrari said, if this team has a horrible second half of the season and manages to find their way to the bottom of the standings uh, for the Shane Wright lottery, great. But chances are that's not going to happen. They could still target the other two centers that are going to be top 10 picks uh, in Brad Lambert and uh, Logan Cooley. Uh, Logan Cooley playing for the national development team uh, down here, down the road from us here Mm -hmm. in Michigan. And I thought that was interesting because at this point, and you always want to fill your holes with the prospects, but the differing philosophies on how to fill those holes. Whereas Jake Rivard, and then he had a three-part series of what to do, but either way, in the continue the rebuild or go all in, he was targeting a, a center in the offseason through free agency or trade. He didn't really focus on the draft pool. I thought the differing philosophies there really was interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think this is very similar. My opinion on this is very similar to my opinion of the Tigers shortstop situation in which I think doing both would be sick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it'd be crazy cool to go sign a, a center and draft four next year. I'd be, I'd be pumped. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that's, that's, it, it doesn't have to be so black and white and so all it in and all one out. or the other right you you can absolutely go and sign a a, a high-end 2c low-end 1c and still go into the draft with the mindset of we are going to draft center and then just bolster it and turn your biggest weakness into a strength in two months that you know sounds what? pretty sick to me if you have too much and you need it you know that's the best. Pro- too many right. setters is the best problem to have in the entire NHL. Absolutely. And uh, it's just it's just a really well-written article. He said that this the Red Wings team could be a playoff threat early as next year as long as they solve the, the, the biggest issues, which, again, is fixing the rest of the defensive core. He says that the defensive core is taking a step, for, uh, step in the right direction, but there's still massive holes. He said Morris Sider has been good. Uh, Philip Perron has uh, been good as an understatement. But uh, Philip Pronick has really settled into his his role as more of a depth defenseman where he's more comfortable. Um, and Nick Letty's been, you know, on pace to be as good as he has his entire career. He said, those, you know, Gus, Gustav Lindstrom's been hot and cold, but he's been pretty good. You know, and he, he I, and I'm, I've been paraphrasing most of this, but he did say that Mark, St- Mark still has been a warm body for the Detroit Red Wings, which I thought was really funny uh, wording to use. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, missing from that article was DeKaiser and Osterley, though. Hmm. You you can ask about DeKaiser. Yeah, I'm not I'm not doing it. You could ask though. <laughs> I mean, just overall, it was a great uh, read. There's there's just so much more to break down. He talked about how Lucas Raymond is responsible for Dylan Larkin, uh, maybe not responsible, but is been part of the reason of Dylan Larkin's resurgence because he brought that at like needed added chemistry to that top line. Mm-hmm. It, just the whole article is really well written and. You know, he says in his article way better than I can recap in the 30 minutes we have. And I got to get to an, uh, a live read here because we're pushing up against it. BetOnline.ag, friends. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use their promo code LOCKDOWN to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for 2022. 
BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline. We're the game. BetOnline. All right, Scotty. As much as we'd love to continue breaking down this Tony Ferrari um, article he wrote about the Detroit Red Wings, the rebuild review, go read it at hockeynews.com, thehockeynews.com. Make sure you go check it out, people. I cannot recommend it enough. We got a preview, the Detroit Red Wings' first home game after their sweep on the West Coast where they face the Winnipeg Jets here tonight at Little Caesars Arena. Uh, now, if there was ever a get-right game with or without Dylan Larkin, it would be this game tonight because, Scotty, this team has got a ton, and I mean a ton, of guys missing due to COVID. Yeah, and uh, uh, and it's a home game. Which always helps. <laughs> Which apparently is really the only thing that matters to this team. If you're on the road, doesn't matter talent of opponent, you lose. If you're at home, doesn't matter talent of opponent, you win. And that's just what we do. So it's a home game. Yeah, why not? Yeah, the Winnipeg Jets are missing Nathan uh, Bolu, Bolu, Ville Heinola, Christian Reichel, Nikolai Ellers, um, and possibly Logan Stanley. I mean, right now, just staring at their COVID-19 list, there's eight players on it, and they missed, I think, th- they had three straight games postponed, maybe two, if I'm recalling correctly. Actually, I have their schedule right out in front of me here. And they had one, two, three, four, five, five games postponed due to COVID. And then they played three and then had three more postponed due to COVID. So the Red Wings are their first game in a while. And they still have guys on COVID that they added on the 10th. So they're going to still be missing players in this game. They're going to be, you know, that's a lot of depth pieces to have to miss. I'm honestly surprised this game is even happening. So with or without Dylan Larkin, I feel like the Red Wings have got to get this win coming off a horrible road trip where you lost three straight. Against the team now. Got two points. Got got two points out of a possible six. I, I'm not looking at as that as a bright spot, Scotty, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I'm not either. Um, yeah, this is this is a must win for the Red Wings. Yeah, I mean, if if you want to solidify yourself back into that playoff hunt, it absolutely is. I mean, you 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 can't first game back from a brutal home from a butyl butyl bugle. First game back. Again? First game back from a brutal road trip. You got this. First game back from a beautiful. Oh my god, <laughs> Scotty! This is an early recording. You can't even use the excuse that you're tired. Oh, what is happening? I don't know. I love you though. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I've already recorded Tigers today. I'm usually. All right. We're going to go again. Do you want me to cut that? <laughs> uh, I don't care. You can leave it in if you want. All right. <clears throat> don't write me. Buzzle. All right. <laughs> First game back from a brutal road trip. Uh, you come back home and then. Again, apparently you only win on home. Apparently that's all you need. So, yes, it's absolutely a must win because it's at home and because your record is so much better at home than it is on the road and because you just got rinsed for three games, really. Uh, it's You had a few days off in the middle there. I, I would imagine you could just go right back to, uh, to Ned in that. I would I imagine would that that's would. not a – 
that's not a uh, a problem. So yeah, e- even without Larks, and and I hope he's back. But but even without him, I, I think that that would be uh, uh, as close to a must win as you can get if you want to be serious about you know, hey, we're gonna try to sneak into the postseason. Yeah, and the one thing you want to keep an eye out though is they have a lot of guys who are on their COVID list, but only Nikolai Ellers is one that's been a, a massive impact player for them this season. He's got 25 points in 33 games, but they still got Kyle Connor with 35 points in 33, Pierre-Luc Dubois with 26 and 33, Shifley with 23 and 27. You know, they still have a plent- a plentiful amount of guys who are just producing at an impressive clip, and they still got two really good goaltenders in uh, Connor Hellebuck, who's got like a 915 save percentage, and they're back up. Eric Comrie having only in only seven games, so small sample size, but Eric Comrie's got a 914 save percentage. So while they're missing a lot of guys, they are more or less just a lot of depth pieces that are out due to COVID-19, which can still hurt you because, I mean, even depth pieces are, you know, everyday players in the lineup. So you got to still replace those guys. But if they have all their top guys still in the lineup, it's not going to still it's still not going to be an easy game despite it being on home ice. Oh, for sure. No, far from a gimme. And and like I, I don't think any games these days for this team are really a gimme, uh, especially if they're on the road. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I, this is far from a gimme. Still, still has some talented players on there, even with with the immense you know grocery shopping list of of COVID names on there. Um, I, I, I kind of just keep going back to the goalie situation, man. Like I'm, I'm, I don't see why you wouldn't go Ned. I would imagine it's gotta be Ned unless you want to like give him a break, but it's been, he had an off day and he had an off day. Like they, they've played him four straight games before on bad streaks and good streaks. So I don't see why at this point, yeah. if, if he's your, you know, undoubted, undoubtedly your number one goaltender, why you wouldn't go back Indubitably. To Especially when he's coming off a, such an insane performance, you know, against the Sharks yeah, where he, he made great. Saves. He was great. I mean, yeah. keep that ball rolling. Keep Stay with the hot hand. Unless, like, the, you're worried about the workload and you want to do, uh, what do they call that, in, uh, NBA? Load management. Load management. Unless you want to do load management with a, with a guy who's a rookie still, technically. I mean, I, I can't see any other reason why you would want to go to Thomas Grice here because you're going to need your – your your best guys on the ice if you want to try and win this game because you are missing your your captain. Absolutely. So. Who uh, who do you think gets one C if Larkin doesn't play? Mm. You think it's just Fabry again? I think it's probably just Fabry again. He was good defensively. He made some boneheaded passes, but he actually was was pretty solid uh, defensively against the Sharks. For yeah, whatever I mean, that's worth. I mean, like we we'd like the top line to you know score, but he was good defensively. We would. Uh, <laughs> he, I mean, he's he's a second line winger at this point who is being forced to play above his pay grade. We've talked about depth issues with the team and players playing above where they're supposed to. I mean, if, if it's not that, it's either Pew Suter playing above or Michael Rasmussen one C. I mean, yep. those are your options. So any way you slice it, it's going to be you're going to hope that Tyler Bertuzzi and Lucas Raymond can again kind of carry the workload on the on the top line, which they did in the San Jose game, especially Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, really well, Bertuzzi having a goal and an assist, thanks to a, a nice shot pass from Philip Ronick off his stick. Just the tip. Just the tip. So I, you know, it's so cool. We found the the origin. Yeah, did not know that. Uh, I personally knew the the girl who posted that on social media. So uh, yeah, that's, that's funny. Cool. That's wild. I I didn't realize until you uh, 
until until I saw the interaction. And so I was we talked about it. We recorded last night. I was like, bro, dude. <laughs> he was like, no, the girl that's that uh that made that public and got that thing. He was like, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, her and I worked for the uh, Oakland University hockey team together. So yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know until last night where she replied and was like, oh, I was the one who posted this. I was like, was you were? That's such a flex. Like, my goodness, that's such a flex. Yeah. Oh, by the way, before we wrap things up, we did a narrow miss on mentioning Dennis Chalowski for the second time today or for two episodes in a row because you were talking about the Arizona trade with Datsuk. We also traded first-round picks, and I almost brought it up, but I didn't want to derail the whole conversation. It's fair. Narrow miss. Narrow. Narrow miss. Um, They ended up getting Chichurn. And we ended up getting Dennis Chalaski out of those draft yeah. picks. And I was almost like, oh, I could bring up Chalaski for the second time in two days. The most he'll ever get mentioned on any podcast, not even Lockdown Capitals. Oh, probably. Oh, and it, we're just kind of, now we're just shooting it, shooting the crap. But uh, Evgeny Shvechnikov update, because he plays for Winnipeg. 30 games, three goals, six assists. Wow. Wow. Good for him. I, I'm assuming good that's respect, good production man. for him. I don't even know anymore. Um, uh, I'm good with where everyone is at this current point involving this situation. <laughs> I mean, he's basically an everydayer. I don't want to make the whole conversation. I'm content. I am, yeah. I'm more than content with him being where he is. Good for him. Good for Spetch. Good for him, though. Good for him. I always liked him. I always rooted for him. I When he signed that one-year one deal with the Red Wings, I was like, please, work. I want you to stay around. He just didn't make it work, and it was whatever. But that is whatever. Point, yeah. Any final thoughts? We ball. We absolutely ball. Um, we'll be back with a post-game recap for you guys tomorrow. Uh, same time, same place. It is your team. Every day. Every day.